Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We've got a very special guest here for you today, Angels Pro Scouting Director Nate Horowitz. We're bringing Nate on in lieu of the news that uh, we've named Shohei Otani the 2018 Baseball America Player of the Year. Uh, Nate and his staff were instrumental in scouting Otani in Japan the last couple of years. And we wanted to, uh, to bring Nate on and talk a little bit about just what that process was like because uh, Otani was certainly a unique talent. First of all, Nate, uh, th- thank you for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So you have someone, you know, there's talented players everywhere. You guys send guys out all over the United States to find, uh, find talent. When you have a player halfway across the world in Japan, it's a little bit different. What was the process for scouting Otani like the last few years? Did you guys have someone sitting in Japan on him full time? Did you rotate guys in and out? To take us through that that organization of scouting Shohei Otani. Yeah, so we approach uh, all of our scouting in the NPB, not just with Otani, uh, with the mindset that we want to get as many different opinions as possible. Um, so we structure our coverage. Uh, to rotate members of our pro scouting staff into Japan throughout each season. Uh, so we had a bunch of different looks at him uh, over his last few years there. Um, and then we had a few people on staff uh, with more extensive histories with Shohei. Um, you know, Billy Epler, it's well documented, has has seen him way back into his Yankee days. Um, and that's also true for our international scouting director, Carlos Gomez, who who had a pretty good history with him as well. Yeah, you mentioned Carlos Gomez, your national scouting director, uh, Ben Francisco and Lance Nix, two of your other pro uh, pro scouts, uh, had been on him as well. You know, you guys are seeing this talented player over the course of many years. Um, naturally, the fact that hitting and pitching at the major league level has not really been done for a century. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot said about, you know, this guy, what he might be able to do. but. When would you say there was kind of organization-wide conviction in Japan that, that Shohei Otani really could actually come over and both pitch and hit successfully in the major leagues? Sure. I would say I don't think there was any, ever any much doubt about him on the pitching side. I think you, know, you, you see the tools, and it's pretty obvious right away. Uh, I'd say on the offensive side, it really started um, with his 2016 season over there. Um, you know, what he did as a 21-year-old at at such a high level of competition is pretty special. Um, And our scouts who saw him hit in Japan from that point on always thought he had the potential to be an impactful and and pretty well-rounded offensive player. Um, You know, you've seen him, the the bat speed and power really just jumps out to you immediately. Um, And I know it was important for him when we were, when he was picking uh, his club that he was going to play for to get a, a real and kind of longer leash and a real chance to, to be a two-way player. And it wasn't hard for us, and I'm, I'm sure it's true of other clubs as well, um, to, to honestly tell him that we thought he could succeed on both sides um, just because we had the performance track record and, and the scouting opinions that, that you could do it. You, know, you mentioned you see, you see the tools to hit, right? The bat speed, the strength, the raw power. Um, clearly for him to come over, you look at the numbers he put up this year, 285, 22 home runs in a half season. It would have been 34 home runs. That that was the pace he was on with the full season. I mean, that's, you know, on the modern scouting scale, that's a 60 hitter, maybe higher with, you know, potentially 70 power, maybe higher. Did his amount of offensive success, is this what you thought was in there or did it even surprise you guys for what he was able to accomplish as a rookie? Sure, I would say we had, I mean, we had high expectations for him, but, uh, 
was un- unrealistic for us to expect this. He was he was still a, as immensely talented as he is. He was still a 23 year old rookie, um, making a, a huge league adjustment. Um, so I would say he exceeded even our most optimistic expectations, which is great. You know, all the credit for that goes to him. He's a he's a special talent, and not only that, he he works diligently to to improve and prepare every day. You know, you guys are, are obviously, uh, you know, you're all, you're all professionals. You've been doing this for a long time. How often does that happen that someone really exceeds expectations that you guys have on your internal reports, especially when they're already pretty glowing? Uh, you know, it's better it happens that way than the other way, for sure. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, we, uh, you know, you're never going to be perfect. Uh, scouting is an imperfect science. Um, so, yeah, it, we're, we're off on guys. Um, we just do our best to, to stick to our process and and uh, and do the best we can and, and try to nail as many guys as possible. But uh, but yeah, definitely better that guys that we bring in uh, do better than we anticipated and, and not worse. You mentioned you guys ha- had some history with him. How far back uh, had you guys as an organization, you know, been gathering gathering reports on him? How far back is that history? So as far as I'm aware, our, our first reports on him were from. Uh, 2013, so his, his rookie season over there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe we were one of the teams that that saw him in high school. Now, how, you know, having seen kind of the progression of those reports from 13, 14, 15 into 16, how how did you see that them progress and, and them change over those the course of those seasons? Yeah, again, I think the pitching side, the tools are always huge, um, and that was really early on that was most of the looks we were getting at him were, were on the pitching side. Um, but it was it was pretty obvious to everybody that, that he was special on the mat. Um, we didn't really start getting many hitting reports until again until he started going off in, in twenty sixteen. Um, and really from that point forward, uh, it was when he was dominating the, the league over there, it was the reports were all sky high. You you mentioned having those pitching reports on him dating back to twenty thirteen. He only pitched five games in Japan in 2017, his final year before coming over. The fact that it was such a limited sample size of starts in, in the year before he comes over, how difficult did that make it for you guys to kind of assess and evaluate where he was as a pitcher? I would say it was probably uh, hardest on our budget. Uh, we had some guys buying plane tickets on, on short notice to, <laughs> to head over there. Um, but we were able to see, I, I think, four of his last five starts, or four of his total five starts uh, at the end of that season. Um, you know, some of that was part of our planned covers that overlapped. Um, but then we did have guys we mentioned, um, Ben Francisco and, and Jason Nix, uh, who are two of our pro scouts that were willing to travel all the way over there on short notice to be there just for a few days and come back just to see him, uh, which was, was greatly appreciated. It's some, some serious commitment. Um, so we did get to see most of them that season, but even at, at the end of the day, we still had his entire history before 2017 to fall back on. And you know, regardless of how he looked in those last few starts, I think we would have had interest in him just like everybody else would have. Absolutely. You know, you're, you're obviously you know, a professional and we're all professionals, but we also all love the game. Uh, you know, you and I had talked and you mentioned you had planned to see Otani. You went to Japan uh, for the World Baseball Classic. Uh, hoping and planning to see Otani over there, and then he gets hurt and doesn't pitch. Just on a personal level, how disappointing was that for you that you were not going to be able to see him in person pitching in Japan? I would say it was maybe a small disappointment, but it was still a a great trip, and it was my first time over there, so 
um, really the experience itself was was well worth it. And it wasn't just Japan that I saw. I got to see Team Cuba over there um, and and a bunch of other teams as well. So uh, it was it was quite the experience overall, and probably would have been slightly better if he had played. But it all worked out. You know, you mentioned the the history and, and building that with him. And I am curious, you know, you're looking at an 18-year-old, just as here at, when you look at an 18-year-old in the United States, it's very, very hard to put sevens and eights on, on anyone's report. Seeing Otani as an 18-year-old in Japan as a pitcher, were the expectations that high or was it more sixes and then it grew into sevens and eights? Yeah, I think it was, I think it was more that, uh, you know, all these guys when they're 18 years old, they they uh, project and they get better. And, you know, in his case, maybe there was a little less projection uh, than a lot of the 18-year-olds we, we see here for the draft, uh, just with how hard he was already throwing at the time. But, you know, you're, you're always going to build in some, some level of risk when you're seeing an 18-year-old. So I think it's natural that the grades would would increase as the years go on and he gets closer to his ceiling and, and closer to, to coming over to the, to the major leagues. Absolutely. So you've seen all these reports, you know, for years and years and years. You're in charge of, you know, managing them, making sure everyone's seeing who they're supposed to see, and you're reading these come through across your desk for years. The pursuit happens. The recruiting happens. Word comes down in December that Shohei Otani has picked the Angels. Just as someone who's, who's, again, been looking at his reports for years and years and years, what was your own personal reaction to the news that, you know, you guys got him? Yeah, it was, it was definitely a moment I'll never forget, um, just because of how unique the whole process was. I mean, it was a it was a recruitment, which is not like a, a usual thing that we deal with. Um, so I would say that I felt mostly a mix of extreme excitement and extreme relief um, on the excitement side. I mean, we, yeah, we had worked so hard, um, just like all the other clubs, um, both over the previous month or so, kind of putting everything together, and also over the last few years. Um, building up our, our history with the player. Um, so to see it all pay off and knowing that a, such a special talent is going to be an angel for at least the next six years was, was an amazing feeling. And there was definitely that relief mixed in. Uh, it felt very high stakes at the time. Um, you know, we were competing. Multiple teams in our division were, were among the finalists as well. Um, and it was such a unique situation with him being an amateur free agent. Uh, it felt like a kind of a franchise-changing moment, and we were we were very fortunate that he chose us. Absolutely. So Billy Epler is on record as saying he uh, fell out of his chair and it got pushed back against the wall. Did you have any moments like that where you tried to sit down and fell on the floor or anything like that? I don't have anything like that. It was more of a, is this really happening uh, feeling. It, it was hard to believe at first. So obviously, you know, there's all these expectations. There's the excitement. There's the relief. The recruiting process. This is all before he's ever actually stepped on a field. Um, he arrives in spring training, and the struggles are are pretty well documented. Struck out ten times in 32 at bats. Was down to 90-92 in some of those some of those minor league B games. And look, there are you know people coming out, you know, quoting scouts and whatnot, saying that. Hey, he's got to start in the minors. You know, this isn't really, he's not ready, et cetera, et cetera. Seeing him against major league t- players performing like he did, did you have any concerns? Where, what, where, where was your mind at? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie and say it wouldn't have been a little less stressful if he had 
dominated starting on March 1st. <laughs> um, nobody ever doubted his long-term potential, though. Um, you know, I maybe didn't anticipate that the adjustment would be so immediate as soon as the as the lights turned on, but there was definitely never any doubt that, that he was one of our best 25 players and, and deserved to be in the big leagues. Um, you know, like we said, the tools are obvious when you see him, whether it's on the mound, and he was he was showing flashes of, of the stuff that he has, um, or just the show he put on every day in batting practice. You know, the, the, the tools were all there, and, and again, we had his entire track record in Japan to fall back on. You don't perform like that uh, at such a high level of competition by accident. Um, and then even more than that, it's, I think at the time it was easy to, to forget that he was making such a huge change in his life, and not just on the baseball field. Um, and yeah, that that does take some time to work through. But, uh, but yeah, never never had uh, too high level of concern. Um, but uh, but yeah, we we were pretty confident that you know when the when the lights turned on, he would he would start to turn it around. Yeah, you know, in my story today, uh, you know, I, I wrote about those spring training stories a little bit, and in the, in the sidebar, you can check out online at baseballamerica.com. Uh, you know, Billy Epler came out and said, you know. He never considered sending Otani to the minors, no matter the struggles. He was going to be on the opening day roster. Uh, did you feel the same personally, as well as within the pro scouting department, that you know there was never a question he was going to open on the major league roster? Yeah, we did. You know, spring training, about from an evaluation standpoint, you know, part of the performance maybe gets weighed in, but you know, you're you're really weighing your whole history with the player. Um, a lot of guys don't perform that well in spring training it doesn't carry over and, and the opposite is true as well uh, it's you know it's not the 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 best circumstances to be evaluating players in spring training um, and again there was there was a high level of confidence that he was one of our best 25 players that deserved to be on the club and and probably much higher than that one of one of our best players in general so one of the things that was pretty well publicized an adjustment he made was shortening his leg kick and hitting coaches Eric Kinski and Paul Sereno, helping him get through that. Was that something that you guys internally as scouts saw immediately in spring training and felt like would be something that would make a change? Or when it happened, was it like, oh, that's all it took? You know, we did have a couple guys that I think mentioned something to me like that on our pro staff that, that did see him. But there's really a separation there um, just organizationally, you know, when our job is mostly to, to find the next angels. Um, so that was really uh, all the credit there goes to the coaching staff who made those adjustments with him. Absolutely. So you mentioned when the lights come on, uh, he, he made an adjustment even quicker than you expected. It comes out with you know six solid innings against the A's, then homers three days in a row, and then takes a, a perfect game uh, into the seventh inning of his first home start. Uh, I, I was there, and it's one of the most memorable uh, things I've ever covered or even just been at, you know, period. For you, seeing him make that adjustment just that quickly, you know, you mentioned there was relief when he signed. Was there also relief when you saw him do that his first full week in the majors? Yeah, I think you could say a little bit. Um, and mostly it was just a, a really exciting time. You know, that was before some of the adversities started to uh, started to hit on the injury front. And you know, those first few weeks, like you said, that first week at home, uh, in Angel Stadium, where he homered in his first at bat, and then had that uh, 12 strikeout start against Oakland. Uh, it was, it was in general, a, a really exciting time. Yeah, you know, as a, a pro scouting department, when you guys are running, you know, halfway across the world, putting in the work on this guy, you know, spending countless hours writing the reports, following him around, you know, making all the effort in the world to make sure that everything is perfect in the evaluations, and then you see him perform like that. Within the pro scouting department, um, 
Just what, what was that feeling like, seeing, seeing him do what he did after all the work you'd put in? Yeah, you know, it definitely feels good. I mean, I will say this wasn't exactly like we unearthed a, a diamond in the rough <laughs> player, right. uh, which a lot of times for a pro scouting department can, uh, can be even more gratifying. Uh, you know, this, this is obviously one of the best players in the world. All 30 teams knew that. We, don't, we mm-hmm. didn't do anything special from an evaluation standpoint besides getting our work in and, and making sure that, that uh, we had the best evaluation we could. Uh, but it, even, even with all that said, it's, it, was still, it was still very gratifying. And, you know, it's, it's nice to know that, that he lived up to a lot of the expectations we had. Uh, and, uh, you know, it did even better in, in some cases. Yeah, you, know, you mentioned even better in some cases. He has that first week, um, and up until the the injury, obviously, you know, he was the pitching was consistent. It was pretty good. You know, it was a start here or there, but he had a run of five straight starts of two earned runs allowed or less. Uh, and obviously, as a hitter, we covered it. He he exceeded expectations from a scouting standpoint. How did you see Shohei evolve over the course of the season? Yeah, I think on the you know, on the pitching side, like you said, we didn't unfortunately we didn't get too much time to evaluate him, um, and his success was pretty immediate. I did think that his slider uh, was getting better at the more experience he got. Um, I think a lot of that was just getting a better feel for for the ball over here. Um, and offensively, it's true too that he was pretty great right away. Um, I do think you could see him uh, just getting more experience, or as he got more experience, he would get more comfortable. Uh, I think that especially showed up in his plate discipline and his ability to hit left-handed pitching, um, especially towards the end of the year when he was getting the chance to hit every day. He looked a lot more comfortable against lefties, and, and I know that, that showed in the performance as well. Yeah, that was you know early on. I remember Mike Giovanni of the LA Times and a Baseball America correspondent you know, laid out uh, pretty clearly the struggles Shohei was having against lefties. Albert Pujols gets hurt, opens up some more DH at bats, and you saw the adjustment, you know, almost perfectly timed as soon as the article came out and all of a sudden he yep. starts hitting lefties. Um, his ability to evolve and, and progress as quickly as he did, how rare was that, uh, again, from, from that scouting standpoint? Because, I mean, you guys are seeing thousands of players and everyone makes adjustments, but the speed at which they get made differs. It definitely does, and I think that just speaks to who he is as a, as a person and a player. And he's, he's a special rare case um, who is one of the more studious, if not the most studious player we've ever had here. Um, and his, it seems like his goal in life is to perfect his craft. And he spends every day trying to just get a little bit better. Um, and so far he's accomplished that. You mentioned that being one of the most studious players you've ever had, spending you know, his life goals to perfect his craft. That's all makeup stuff. How did did you guys have that makeup info on him from his time in Japan? And if so, how do you how do you get that when it's you know there's a language barrier and, and some other you know situational uh, difficulties? We did. Um, you know, we all have contacts over there. From when you travel, you you uh, you make contacts with with people who work in, in the MPB, and um, you know Billy had plenty of contacts from from his days of scouting over there. So you just ask around, and you know you even can just you can glean a lot from reading articles and watching interviews that, that he did. Um, so there were plenty of them out there. Um, and we kind of just piece that all together to, to come up with a, a makeup assessment. How much does, when you have a player w- with this level of talent, how prominent, you know, is the makeup assessment in his report? 
Um, it's a, it's definitely a part of it, and especially you know a player that has to make such a big life adjustment. You would definitely like to to be confident, as we were, that he has the personality to handle it. Um, but at the end of the day, the the talent is mostly going to speak for itself, and most 23 year olds aren't finished growing as as human beings. So I think the the talent is is the most important thing, but makeup definitely can can play a part in you know whether a player can live up to that talent. Uh, so it's you know, that we kind of treat it appropriately. We obviously you know talked about him exceeding expectations, succeeding on the mound, succeeding as a hitter. Um, but there is the caveat that he you know when the reports uh, that came out shortly after he signed was that there was already some UCL damage comes in during the season, gets worse, uh, PRP injection, rehab, doesn't quite take. Tommy John is ultimately decided as the course of action. I guess just overall for you guys, since, since the pitching was the biggest you know, area of confidence for you guys, how does this surgery now change the evaluations, the expectations uh, for a player like this, you know, if, if at all? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it does. Um, you know, unfortunately, in the game today it's it happens to a lot of pitchers and especially pitchers that throw hard and and our our uh, goal is for him to you know accomplish what he needs to rehab wise and and get back to being what we we think he can be on the mound and and as a two-way player and that's the other part of this i think that by virtue of the injury people wonder you know is it really possible to hold up over a full starter's workload? And and one of the things I noticed was looking back, he hasn't pitched a full season's uh, innings workload uh, since 2015 in Japan, uh, 150 innings, I should say. By the time he comes back in 2020, it will have been five years. So when you're evaluating, again, this uh, this player's level of talent, you know, durability is a huge component of, of success on the mound. How do you assess durability in a case like this, just given kind of the uniqueness of this of his situation? Yeah, I mean, durability might mean a different thing for him than it does for, you know, he's, he's probably not going to put up like a Max Scherzer 220-inning <laughs> pitch season right. um, you know, with, with what we ask him to do. Um, but, you know, I think, let's say he's able to put together a 150-inning season and, and, you know, get 300 plate appearances as a DH or whatever the case may be, there's so much value uh, added on, on both sides that, you know, it's, it's, uh, he's a, a great asset to the team regardless, um, even if he is maybe pitching once a week or whatever, whatever we decide the, the workload will look like when, when he does come back to, to playing both ways. Absolutely. Was there ever any discussion, and again, I, I, I think this is more just people out there throwing out different ideas. Was there any ever discussion of, him being a bullpen guy and allowing him to just hit more, or was it pretty determined, no, we need him as a starting pitcher, or we want him as a starting pitcher, I should say? Yeah, no, I don't think so. Um, there's so much, I think there's just so much value, or more value to throwing, you know, again, if he can get to 150 innings when he's healthy, there's so much more value there, um, that that was always where, where we saw him. Completely understandable. As I told one of my colleagues, you don't take a guy throwing 97 with you know the most unhittable secondary pitch in baseball and his splitter, which from an opponent average-wise was the most unhittable pitch in the majors, plus a plus slider. You don't try and limit that guy. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, we, we want to have him out there as much as possible, and, and we do that as being a starter and a, and a DH uh, when appropriate. 
So people like to throw number one, number two type labels. Uh, there's no question it's number one starter stuff, but just given, you know, you mentioned the, the back and forth of between, you know, scheduling DHing and pitching and as well as now this injury, when you guys speak as an organization, is he still the, you know, quote unquote, number one starter you guys see in your rotation, you know, two, three, four years from now, assuming he comes back healthy? We believe so. Uh, you know, again, he might not have the typical number one starters workload, what you would look for some from someone who was pitching full time. Uh, but in terms of ability, uh, we, we think when he's on the mound, he has the ability to be one of the best guys in the league. And like you said, guys who can top out at 100 or even 101 at times with a splitter that's one of the best pitches in baseball and, and a slider that's that's not so bad either. Um, you know, those guys don't grow on trees. Definitely not. Definitely not. Overall, you know, looking back on, on you know, because we talk about, you know, evaluating these players, but it's a continuous process. Sometimes I feel like, you know, it's, oh, scouting reports are fought when they're coming up and then when they're in the major leagues, they are what they are. But, you know, we see it that guys, they, they change in the major leagues and their report, the numbers on the report change. Um, what You mentioned his slider got a little bit better. I mean, what, what changed on his report, if you will, for, for you this year? Um, you know, again, I think it's it's just minor changes throughout the year. You know, maybe the slider ticked up a, a half a grade or, or a full grade. Again, we didn't get that much time to evaluate him from a from a pitching standpoint. Um, but uh, on the offensive side, yeah, again, I think that maybe that play discipline play discipline grade increased throughout the year. Um, but most of the tools, I think, were pretty pretty constant. Um, you know, he hit the ground running <laughs> as soon as April came around uh, on both sides of the ball. Absolutely. With, in regards to that plate discipline grade going up, when that ticks up, getting nitty-gritty here for a second, do you then tick up the hit and power grades with it, or do you just tick up that plate discipline grade and know that it will affect the hit and power grades? And we try to keep them all separate and, and um, you know, keep, the, keep them independent, and then we, we put all the tools together to, to kind of project how we would value a player's offensive performance in that case. Okay, absolutely. So well, we've talked about a guy who the numbers on his report are pretty big, uh, and you guys have another guy like that in Mike Trout, who uh, is also our Baseball America 2018 Player of the Year. And, you know, we've talked about Mike for a long, long time, but I do want to ask you, you know, Mike put up his career-high OPS this season. He also had his best season defensively in his estimation and in the estimation of a lot of the uh, advanced metrics out there. For a guy that's pretty much top of the scale on most things, um, I mean, do his num- did his numbers go up even higher this year? How do you kind of grade Mike Trout out now, maybe compared to last year or the year before? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to improve much on being an 80. <laughs> he's always been kind of a, a different kind of 80 than most. Yeah, um, and we, we joke that he's really like a ninety um, in, in a lot of areas, and, and overall, um, I think you know he's a, another just a, a special case that he continues to improve all the time. It's and that's something that you know he's very dedicated and, and he's always working on. And even a lot of times they're they're pretty subtle changes that he makes. Um, you know, offensively, I know the book on him for a long time, and I think this is still the case is that you try to work him with fastballs up. Uh, but it seems like he kind of closes that hole more and more each season. I think that bears out, has borne out in the numbers, uh, especially this past season. Um, and I do think, you know, 
part of the OPS and you know, OBP spike that he had this year was that teams just started pitching him around him more as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, part of that is maybe him just continually getting better from the plate discipline standpoint and, and laying off pitches even more. And part of it, again, is just, you know, teams choosing choosing to, to uh, fight their battles elsewhere. Uh, and I know his intentional walks also spiked this year. Uh, so that's definitely played a little bit of a part, at least, in the, in the offensive performance. And like you said, defensively, I know it's been it's been well documented that that he took it upon himself to to improve in that area because he had seen some of those defensive metrics that that were out there and saw him declining in center field. Uh, so I know he spent a lot of time in spring training uh, with the coaching staff, working on his jumps and routes in center field, and and it looks like it paid off. And credit goes to him and, and the staff that was working with him. And it's definitely a special trade. It seems like it, it's you know he every offseason picks one aspect of his game to improve on. Um, this year was his defense. I know a few years ago uh, he improved his arm strength, which is not something that you usually see happen at the big league level. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it'll be interesting to see what, what he works on this offseason. Yeah, scary thought. Mike Trout does something else to get even better. Um, overall, you, know, you mentioned fr- from the scouting standpoint, how much did that defense and his arm improve? Is it a half grade, a one grade, a two grade jump? I mean, just how much better was he, you know, based on your internal metrics and discussions? Yeah, you know, we had always had better uh, internal reports on his defense than, than some of the metrics that were out there. It's, I mean, it is a very hard thing to quantify. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking at our reports, I do think it seems like we saw a full grade uh, increase this year in our, in our fielding grades. And you mentioned the arm strength. I think that was something that was a knock on him for a while. And this year he uh, started four double plays as, you know, catch him, throw him out in center field, most among American League center fielders. And you mentioned arm grades don't typically get better in the majors. Uh, first question is, in your experience, why is that? And second, uh, how did Mike make it better when a lot of other people don't? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of it is just it's not something that guys necessarily feel the need to to work on improving a lot of the time um you know it really is of the tools i do think it's probably the the least used one in terms of making an impact on a on a day-to-day basis um and i'm not exactly sure in the particulars of what he did i do think there was a good amount of long toss involved uh in improving his arm strength um but uh, i wasn't uh, i'm not that sure of, of what his process was for that okay so you've got Shohei Otani, you've got Mike Trout, and while that hasn't translated to wins at the Major League level, um, the Angels had their third consecutive losing season this year. The other you know, exciting thing that you can look for in the future is a rejuvenated farm system. For those who don't know, just to give a little more background on you, Nate, uh, Nate has, was with the Angels pre, uh, pre this regime. Uh, he was actually on the amateur scouting side uh, prior to this, and so you know, you've kind of had a front row view to seeing how this system has evolved from where it was in, you know, 2014, 2015, when we at Baseball America ranked it, you know, 30th or 29th, pretty much every year, to now we have it 10th. Uh, just in your overall estimation, what are the biggest differences you see, just in terms of you know who's on the field and what they can do? Yeah, it's definitely night and day from from a few years ago. Um, you know, now when I travel to our affiliates, and especially in spring training or instructional league, when everyone's in the same place, the just the talent and the physicality and, and tools jump out all over the field, and that wasn't the case 
uh, a few years ago. You know, in general, I think the improvements come from a few places. Um, one of it is just renewed investment um, in, in both the domestic and international amateur markets. And part of that is even is just having your picks um, and, and not being in the, the penalty box, so to speak, internationally. You know, you, there's not much you can do when, when you don't have the ability to spend money in those markets mm-hmm. or as much as, as other clubs. Um, so that has definitely helped. And we've definitely placed more of an emphasis on tools and upside. Um, and you know, trusting our, our player development staff to, to mold those raw tools into into good players, and you see that with the Joe Adels and the, the Brandon Marshes, and most recently the the Jordan Adams and, and Jeremiah Jacksons of the world. And you know, a lot of a lot of the credit does go to the development group because um, even when we were ranked last, um, you know, we did have guys that were already in our organization that were kind of in the infancy stages of their development and. Mm-hmm. You know, didn't weren't showing up high on, on prospect lists, which was understandable at the time. But they've they've now turned themselves into, into highly regarded prospects, like you know Jose Suarez, Jan Jones, uh, Taylor Ward, Michael Hermosillo, some guys that have turned into productive big leaguers, even like Jaime Perea, a Justin Anderson that that comes out of nowhere to, to be a productive member of our bullpen. So, you know, it's it's a mix of it's a mix of everything. It's the development group. It's the the amateur scouting and international scouting groups led by Matt Swanson and, and Rick Wilson when he was running the draft and, and Carlos Gomez internationally and and just being able to, to renew our investments in those areas as well. Absolutely. You mentioned Joe Adele, uh, you know, your first round pick last year out of high school. He finishes the year in double A. You know, you talked about Shohei Otani exceeding expectations. I mean, Joe Adele had high expectations, but for him to move as quickly as he did and perform as he quickly as he did was he another guy who exceeded expectations hey, for sure yeah we yeah that's another guy we thought very highly of when we drafted him we drafted him 10 in the country and truthfully he was much higher on our board than that and we, we loved him uh, but we definitely did not anticipate him getting to double a as a 19 year old um that would have been unrealistic to expect that um so we were we were thrilled with how we performed this year um, you know, he has clearly the tools to be an impact player on, on both sides of the ball. Uh, the power is ridiculous. Uh, the athleticism is ridiculous. And, and the hit tool, I think, was better than a lot of people, people anticipated. Uh, I think something that's not as obvious to the outside world, although I think you, I think you interviewed him at the Futures game, so you've got more of a, a feel for this, is that he has another guy with, with outstanding makeup, um, kind of a mature beyond his years 19-year-old that's, exceptionally driven and is so far getting the most out of his ability uh, so the sky's the limit with him yeah i actually I, so i spoke to him i was out in inland empire and saw him and then i uh, spoke to him at the futures game and uh, i think the way i would say it is he's like one of the co- nicest coolest people i've ever met period not just you know baseball but just life he's an amazing you know young kid for and beyond just baseball and it's, it's obviously exciting anytime you, you see someone who's the complete player and person. So, you know, in that Definitely. regard, when you have a player like that who you have such a high makeup on, can that elevate the tool grades you put on a guy? What's the correlation there, if any? You know, I think it, it just gives you confidence that he'll max out his ability uh, more so. Now you can challenge him uh, as, we did, as we did this year. You know, maybe you're not as you're not as worried about him reaching double A and, and struggling a little bit as you would expect at his age, because you know that with his drive and, and his confidence uh, that he'll be able to work through it and, 
and uh, start producing, which he did at the end of the year there. So Joe Adele, your first round pick last year, shot through three levels of the system. Your second round pick last year did the same, Griffin Canning. Um, I was out there for his opening day start. It was one of the better minor league pitching performances I can remember seeing. And he finished the year all the way in AAA, uh, held his own there. All of a sudden, he's on the cusp of, of the major leagues. You know, with Griffin, again, just what was your overall assessment of, of him this year? And again, did you, did you feel like this was someone who could move this quickly? Or did he, again, you know, exceed expectations? Yeah, he was a guy uh, in college that we viewed as a, a very polished product. So we did anticipate him moving pretty quickly through the minor leagues. Uh, that being said, we didn't necessarily anticipate that his, his stuff would, would pick up like it did. Um, and it, that kind of raised his ceiling in our eyes. He's a, he's a different animal now that he's sitting 94, 95, with, with, still with the four pitches that he can throw for strikes in any count, and the curveball and slider uh, generating a ton of swings and misses. Um, so, yeah, we moved him really quickly this year to just to kind of until we were able to find a challenge for him. And, you know, he really didn't kind of hit some adversity until he got to, got to the PCL. Um, and we were we were really happy with how he finished the year there, uh, finished strong. Um, and the whole time was still missing bats, even as he was struggling in, in such a, a tough environment to pitch in. Yeah, you know, we talk about, you know, teams can turn systems around pretty quickly. And, you know, having guys like that who come in their first year, dominate every level they're at, and move quickly, that's a really good way to uh, to elevate a system. Definitely, yeah. We, we were not afraid to... Um, move guys quickly if we thought they they were ready for the next challenge. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because it definitely raised my eyebrows a little bit. I understood, you know, you guys moved Canning out of of high A after two starts, and after seeing the first one, I said, yeah, no problem. Um, But you moved Jose Suarez out quickly as well. And he was a different case because he's a 20-year-old, you know, still very, very young in his development. But again, he also finished the year in AAA and, and proved he could hold his own. What are the factors there in, in moving? Because it's different moving a, a college guy quickly versus a, you know, a guy who just turned 20 at the start of this calendar year, international sign. You know, it's, it's a very different situation. What are the factors that went into the decision of, of moving a guy like that as quickly as you did? Yeah, you know, I think, the, yeah, the age is a part of it, but mostly it's, we're more just judging the, the talent and, and where the player is from a readiness standpoint. And I would think it's pretty clear uh, Suarez was more dominant than Canning uh, from a performance standpoint. And mm-hmm. He was striking out everybody uh, through Double A, and so again, it's just you know he he kind of conquered even in a short amount of time, especially in Double A. He was so dominant, we felt that he had kind of conquered the level and was ready to, to be challenged at the next level. And you know, we want these guys to be challenged so that they can they can get better. We feel that's that's the best for their development. Absolutely. You had three guys in your system that have all had position changes uh, recently. Taylor Ward from uh, catcher to third base, Matt Thias from catcher in college to first base in pro ball, Jemai Jones from center field to second base. When the decision is made to make a position change, does that normally come from the scouting group? Does that come from the player development group? What's that process like? Yeah, that's mostly um, from the player development group and with heavy input from, from Billy Epler as well. You know, that's a that's a high level decision, especially for guys that we view as some of our top prospects. It's it's high stakes and you want to make sure you get it right. So it's you know, a combination of 
of the, the coaches and player development and, and Billy, what he calls the, the office of the GM here, here in Anaheim. So the first one of those guys, Taylor Ward, is someone who moved to third base this year and took off offensively like nothing anyone had seen from him in any year prior. What for you were the biggest differences, again, from a scouting standpoint that you saw and, and you know, then obviously got to the majors, hit a walk-off home run on the final day of the season, and cl- clearly something's clicked. Yeah, that, that was a nice way to end the season for sure uh, <laughs> for him. Um, you know, on offense, I think uh, even before this past year, uh, he did have some traits that we really liked about him and we thought were really important and kind of gave us confidence that he could succeed offensively with you know, both his uh, advanced play discipline and his ability to make a lot of contact. That, that, was, that was always there. Um, you know, I wouldn't say there was one major swing change or anything like that that he made, although I do think it's, it's definitely possible that not having to squat behind the plate four to five times a week unlocked some things for him. Um, and just kind of having fresher legs, you know, you combine maybe a little more impact um, with that play discipline and contact ability that, he, that he's always had, and, you know, the, the results were pretty apparent. Yeah, no, there's no question about it. Matt Theis was interesting because when the transition initially happened, there was a sense that, you know, it would be uh, average, fringe average first baseman. You know, it would be playable, but it wasn't ever going to be anything all that great. But he's actually shown himself to be, you know, consistently we're getting above average grades on his first base defense now, that 50 to 55, quite a lot of 55s. What have you seen from him, again, just watching him at at the affiliates now for the last two seasons and and the improvement he's made over there? Yeah, we view him pretty similarly uh, internally. Um, You know, I think right away when when we saw him early in his transition, uh, one thing that was pretty clear is that he just looked – generally athletic around the bag um and once you see that you know the rest is just reps um and he's been now getting he's not now gotten two and a half years of reps at first base um and you know i think because of that he's he's steadily improving and we we also believe that he can be a solid to above average defender uh at first base at the big league level eventually so I do have to ask. He's uh, he's listed at six feet tall, which is on the he is on the shorter side of, of first baseman. Does that ever you know? Do you look more at the skills or compared to the height? Like how does the height play into the evaluations, if at all? I think that's a pretty. I mean, it's definitely in there, but it's a pretty small part of the evaluation. Um, you know, we hope we groom infielders that can that can hit a, a six foot target, uh, with, with some regularity. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's more important to us, I would say the, the range around the bag and, and being able to, to be an active participant in fielding ground balls and, and also uh, picking throws at first base. Absolutely. And then, and then the last guy that, that transitioned this year and, and, and the highest ranked of all these guys coming into the year was Jemiah Jones, uh, center fielder last year, second baseman this year. Just what were your overall assessment of, of where the transition is now and, and what's next? Sure. You know, it was, I think it was clear, clear pretty quickly with him as well that the athleticism really stood out uh, on the dirt. Uh, I think in some ways it, for him, for whatever reason, it was more obvious how athletic he was on the dirt than, than in the outfield just with how he moves. Um, and his actions always looked pretty natural there. And he did have some experience there in high school, which, which helps as well, but it had been a while. Um, and, you know, it certainly it wasn't perfect at times, just like with, with Taylor, um, which you wouldn't expect when 
you know, guys have had about now a half year at, at their new positions. Um, but he he also improved throughout the year. You know, I know there were reports that things like turning double plays, he he was getting way better at and just learning the, the nuances of a new position. Um, and we're confident he'll continue to improve with reps. Um, he's going to the fall league uh, this month, um, and you know, we're hoping such a high level of competition will will challenge him and, and push him to keep getting better. Yeah, the, the pivot on the double plays as well as some of the arm slot, those were the two main criticisms I personally was getting making calls on him. Did you see? Did the reports you guys had on those two aspects improve as the year went on? They did, yep. I think it was pretty steady, steady progression uh, throughout the year for him, and you know, hopefully that will continue in Arizona and then and through the offseason into spring next year. His offense did fall a little bit this year compared to last year. Uh, you know, again, from a scouting perspective, how much of that is it you just, you know, say, ah, it's just the transition versus how much of it is, is you know, I don't want to say real, but just, just how do you overall assess an offensive drop when you are taking into account a position change? Yeah, you know, it can definitely weigh on a player's mind a little bit, but overall I don't think we were too disappointed with this season offensively. Um, you know, he still shows a lot of the traits that, we've always liked about him, um, whether that's the the bat speed, which is pretty insane with him. Um, you know, the power started to come. The plate discipline is definitely there. Um, so we, we like a lot of things about him, and it's also easy to forget. He's been around, you know, what seems like a long time now. It's easy to forget how young he is and what advanced levels he was playing at. And he turned 21 in August, and he finished the year in AA, and he's still way ahead of schedule. Um, so, you know, he was able to reform at around league average levels, but at, at a very young age, is, is still impressive. Absolutely. All right, Nate. Well, uh, I think that'll pretty much do it. I mean, again, there, there's you know all these guys still in their 20s: Otani, Trout, the farm system guys we mentioned, and obviously it's been a little bit a uh, bit a bit rough at the major league level for the Angels the last few years. But uh, you know, even internally, um, you know, every every guy says we're excited about our team, but. Sometimes they, they know the truth and that it's, it's looking shaky. But I do feel like the Angels do have, there's a little more there than maybe people see when they just say things like, ah, they're not going to be competitive, they should trade Mike Trout, which, by the way, Billy Epler is on record as saying is not happening. And I think everyone who actually has the power to make that decision says it's never happening. Yeah, you know, it has been, especially this year, was a little bit disappointing uh, how it turned out at the big league level. And we, we anticipated, I think, being more involved in the playoff race and, and possibly getting into the playoffs. Um, but we do feel good that we're building something uh, good for the future. Um, just trying to trying to really build a, a scouting and development and you know machine and, and start turning out some some really good big leaguers internally. That's that's how you can build a healthy organization and that's what our goal is. And you know we're happy with our progress so far. We still have some work to do, um, but. That's what we'll be trying to do. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, I think that'll pretty much do it. Uh, Nate, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we really, really appreciate your time. And uh, for Nate Horwitz, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening to the Baseball America podcast, everybody.